Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless... It was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. You ever get frustrated with government?
officials for kicking the can down the road. This kind of thing goes on all the time. Paul was a victim of injustice. He was under protective custody, but treated like a prisoner. Welcome to Acts. Christ's ministry continues our verse-by-verse journey through this book. The end is in sight, and we're gleaning truths along the way from the experience of the first church, the early Christians. Paul is the focus of the book now from this point on, and he has been planting churches in Western Asia and Eastern Europe and went back to Jerusalem where he grew up, his hometown basically, and gets falsely accused and almost killed by a mob. And the Roman authorities, the army there, rescued him and had a hearing the next day to see what the deal was. And that courtroom scene turned into pandemonium. And so... um, It ended, and then the Roman authorities caught wind that there was a plot to kill Paul, that 40 men had made a vow to not eat or drink until he was dead, and that he was going to be approached, the Roman authorities would be approached to have another hearing. Can we just try one more time to have this hearing? And uh, along the way, these guys who had pledged themselves to not eat or drink until he was dead would commit their assassination. Well, the Roman authority... His position is to keep the peace. He's supposed to, you know, protect the innocent. And so he uh, pulled together 200 foot soldiers, 200 spearmen, that's like infantry and artillery, and 70 horsemen, that's like the cavalry, and sent them with Paul in the middle of the night. They left 9 o'clock at night, walked and traveled all night long, 60 miles away, so even into the next day, to Caesarea. When they got about 30 miles or so from Caesarea, the 200-foot soldiers and the 200 spearmen turned around and had to walk all the way back uphill. So it was a a rough time for them to protect this innocent man. And with them, he sent a letter where uh, he basically is passing the buck on up the ladder to Felix. And so it works in our day that authorities are appealed to when lower authority can't handle an issue. It's passed up to the higher authority. And so here he is in Caesarea at Herod's Praetorium, basically his palace, and uh, waiting on justice to be served. Five days later, here shows uh, the Jews that were out to get him, including Ananias, the high priest, who was close to 80 years old. This poor guy uh, suffered to get there to put Paul away, and he failed. And then he had to turn around and go all the way back home, which was uphill. So, verse 1 of Acts 24. Now, after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator, a lawyer named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Here's why we want him dead. And so they put up Tertullus as the prosecutor. When he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, and then he begins to flatter before he accuses, seeing that through you, speaking to Felix, we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Gag me with a spoon. This guy's lying. Officially lying and religious leaders are there sanctioning it. And of course, Felix is eating it up. He was a slave that became free and then worked his way up the ladder and got a governorship from Rome to uh, come to this part of the Roman Empire and keep the order and serve as governor. It was actually the position that Pilate had. And so um, this is a very parallel experience to what Jesus experienced in front of Pilate with the experience here in front of Felix. So he butters Felix up. You know, when somebody's buttering you up, you better be careful. That's an English expression that's not always understood in other parts of the world. So if you're an international, what does that mean? 
It means when you put butter on a piece of bread, you're getting, to eat, you're getting ready to eat it, right? When somebody's buttering you up, you're getting ready to be tricked or, or bitten in some way, deceived maybe. My dad was preaching through an interpreter. And as he's saying, I get nervous when someone butters me up. He thought, uh-oh, I'm not sure this is going to translate. And he heard the guy speaking his language and throw in the word margarine which is margarine. They didn't have butter there because of the tropics, you know, the, the, the tsetse fly just kills all the cattle. And so they have canned margarine. They understood that. And so uh, what the interpreter basically said is, I don't like it when people put margarine on me. <laughs> so here Felix is just, uh, you know, lathering, uh, being lathered up with, with uh, margarine. Nevertheless, here comes the accusation. Not to be tedious to you any further. You know, I could go on and on and on with how great you are, Felix. <laughs> so not to be tedious to you any further. I beg you to hear by your courtesy, you're such a good guy, a few words from us. And here's the accusation. For we have found this man a plague, a pest, literally a plague spot. a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. You know, Felix, if you deal with this and do what we want, you'll be blessing the empire. He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him. That was the accusation. He's in the temple worshiping as a Jew, keeping the Torah, honoring God, honoring the feasts. And some uh, Jews from Asia Minor, Western Asia, uh, around Ephesus saw him and began to accuse him of bringing Gentiles into the holy place, which was a capital offense. Now, they had seen him in the city with some Gentiles, but there was no Gentiles to, you know, they, they, why, why didn't they arrest the Gentiles? They could have been killed for being there. So, based on that accusation, they tried, they drug him out of the temple and tried to kill him. So, Here's the accusation. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to their law, to our law, which is a, which is a lie. Because according to the law, you have the right to a hearing, and it has to be at least two witnesses to determine whether or not you're, you're convicted of your crime. But the commander Lysias, here's another lie, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands. You know, if it wasn't for that sorry commander you have down there in Jerusalem, we would have been able to practice our religion and deal with this man. But Lysias came in and with violence, they were the one being violent. If you remember the story, Claudius Lysias went in with his soldiers and rescued him. They were going to kill him. They were beating him. So he came with great violence, took him out of our hands, verse 11, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. Verse 9, and the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. The truth, truth of the matter is, Lysias had a hearing to try to determine what Paul was guilty of, and it turned into a theological debate, and they would have put pulled Paul in pieces is what the text says. And so it was the, the word that came to Lysias that this man was going to be killed because of 40 men that had made an oath. He passed the buck on to headquarters in Caesarea. So here this guy is lying through his teeth and all those who are with him, including Ananias, the high, the high priest, are also ascending so. Now remembering that Felix is in the position that Pilate held. Remember when Jesus was accused of threatening to destroy the temple, which definitely was a uh, capital offense. But there was, there was no proof that he actually said that. What he was saying when he spoke about, he said, you destroy this temple, pointing to his body, and in three days I will raise it up. So they took his words, twisted them, created a lie, and, and injustice was served to the blessing of the world. Christ was crucified by the Romans. So here they're trying to 
do a similar thing, and it doesn't quite work with Felix. Verse 10, then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered. Now keep in mind, Paul's a, Paul's a lawyer, so he gives himself a brilliant defense. Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, so he's honoring him for his position without lying, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is more, no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Twelve days ago, I went to Jerusalem. A week later, I'm here with you. And now five days later, seven plus five, here these guys are. When have I had time to stir up dissension? They neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess, that according to the way which they call a sect, the church was called the way, Jesus declared himself to be the way, follow me, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, this being so, I myself always strive to have the conscience without offense toward God and men. I'm trying not to sin. I haven't had time to do what they've accused me of. And where are the accusers at? Look at this, verse 17. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia, that's the Ephesus guys, found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. You know, where are the witnesses that are being quoted? You know, if you confront someone with what you've heard, that's, that really shouldn't be admitted in court. That's called hearsay. The testimony of witnesses is what is accepted. And so these guys weren't there. They ought to have been before you to object if they had anything against me. Verse 20. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. The only dealings I've had with them was with the hearing that we had with Lysias Claudius the day after uh, I was taken into custody. Verse 11. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them. Concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. It all revolves around the resurrection of Jesus. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he, he had a clue what, what this was all about. He adjourned the proceedings and said, and this is where our video ended, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. So Paul's enemies went home 60 miles uphill in defeat and Paul is not released. He's kept. And Lysias never comes. And you say, hold. You know, there's this promise that he had when the Lord visited him one night, I'm sending you to Rome. Where's that promise at right now? It's, God's promises are sure, though they wait, tarry for them. They will come to pass. After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. One translation says he trembled and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Why? He was convicted. He knew all about the way, about Jesus. And Paul's preaching righteousness, that we're right with God through the finished work of Jesus. You read what he wrote to the churches in his, in his letters. Paul had a great grasp of the gospel that our righteousness, our, our standing with God is imputed to us through faith in Jesus, through what he did for us. And so Felix, knowing about the resurrection, knew there was something to that. And self-control. 
that when we're made right with God, our lives must begin to reflect that righteousness as we grow in Christ and the judgment to come. This is important because one day the just and the unjust are going to stand before God. That probably bothered Felix the most because he was a wicked man. It was said he had the position of a king but the heart of a slave, so he was very, very cruel. In fact, two years later, he's removed from his position for his cruelty. So here he is, hearing the gospel, he's being warned. When we hear the gospel, we need to respond. It's important. Two years later, who knows what happens to him? He's recalled to Rome. His wife, Drusilla, at this time was 16 years old. He stole her from another king. Had a sorcerer help him pull it off. So here he is, living in adultery with another man's wife. And she's a a teenager. Years later, she dies in Pompeii during the erupting of Vesuvius. She was one of the victims of that, historians say. Go away for now. When I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. Today is a day of salvation. There is no more convenient time to respond to the gospel than today. Can I get an amen? Meanwhile, now here's his wickedness. He also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. You know, if Paul would have just offered a bribe, he would have set him free. A little money under the table would have done it. So who knows what these conversations were like? You know, like, how much money did you take to Jerusalem when they caused all these problems for you? How much did the people that came and visited you yesterday give you? Just throwing all these hints. And Paul never took the bait. He knew he was going to Rome. Paul considered himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. That if the Lord wanted him free, he could set him free. But after two years, this this nonsense is going on for two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, because he was in such disfavor with them, left Paul bound. Kept him incarcerated for his own political expediency. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would apply this word we've heard today to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's application time. If you were Paul, if I was in a position like him, how, how would we respond to injustice that doesn't stop? How, did, uh, how do Korean Christians that are incarcerated unjustly or Iranian believers that are being abused, how do they survive in victory? How do they do it? How did Paul do it? Well, we get clues to how he did it from the letters he wrote, especially those he wrote while in captivity. He wrote uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon while in captivity. And if he wrote Hebrews, he may very well have written it during these two years because he's focused on Jews understanding the new covenant in light of the old covenant. So today, in our application time, I'd like to talk about, just for the next few minutes, how to move beyond surviving just enduring, you know, just barely making it, into thriving from mere existence to more victory, from victims to victors, more than conquerors we've been made in Christ, Paul wrote in one of his letters. How did he live like this as a prisoner? How can we live like this, whether we're imprisoned or experiencing some injustice that just doesn't seem to get right, You've been treated wrong. People are lying about you. How do you survive that and do more than survive, but be victorious? Here's a few keys. According to Paul's writings, we should be crucifying our evil deeds, which includes our pride. Our pride gets crushed when we're mistreated. How dare they treat me like this? Romans 8, 12. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
It's a paradox of the Christian faith. If you want to live, you must be willing to die. If you're not willing to die, you're going to die. Why? The deeds of the body bring about death. We'll see that in a minute. Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ, that is those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's no longer my way or the highway. It's his way is the only way. Colossians 3 wrote this in prison. Put to death your members which are on the earth. And here they are. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So these things should not be allowed to exist in our life. These things bring death to us. Not only physical death, but they bring relational death to us. Covetousness, self-centeredness will destroy your relationships. Fornication will destroy your marriage. Uncleanness, passion, evil desires, idolatry will destroy your walk with the Lord. These things must be crucified. And so when we are experiencing injustice, the whole core of who we are, our identity is under assault. How will we respond? How will we respond? Embrace the cross, sister. Embrace the suffering, brother. Because you can't hurt a dead man. So to the level that I'm hurting, that's to the level I'm focused on my identity, my pride, my desires, my dreams. Me, 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 me. According to Paul's writings, as believers who are not just going to survive but thrive, we should be identifying with Jesus' suffering. The church does not have a good theology on suffering. It's not popular. The books on suffering don't really sell. Because, partly because there is error in preaching suffering. Some people take things too far. But there is truth in it. In Philippians 3, while in prison, Paul wrote, Behold, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything's lost. My freedom is lost. My incarceration is lost because knowing Jesus is so much better. What was it Diane said at the beginning of the service? My worst day with Jesus is better than my best day without him. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What is he talking about? Well, read that whole chapter in his context. You'll see. Here's another point he says two verses later. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Oh, everybody wants that. Woo, hallelujah. Resurrection power, somebody. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Who's being conformed to the death of Jesus? We are. In Paul's case, it was real easy. Here he is in Pilate's replacement court, being falsely accused by people who, were who had replaced the previous people that had accused Jesus, and Roman politics at work. In our case, it may not be so easy to see because we think our case is so unique. But in reality, if you're being slandered, Jesus was slandered, right? If you're being falsely accused, Jesus was falsely accused. If people believe lies about you and you don't have a chance to defend yourself, Jesus did the same. If people are beating the tar out of you, if you're being abandoned, do you, do you see the suffering of Christ? If someone's betrayed you, you see a parallel between your story and Jesus' story? You can get to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, have a fresh appreciation of the offering he paid for us to purchase our redemption so that you and I can be assured of victory. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So when I'm suffering, I don't have to actually totally fall apart because Jesus 
has overcome the, those kind of things for me, so, and with his help, I too will overcome. Amen. If we're going to thrive and not just survive, we've got to learn to be thankful. Exercising our thanking. Thanksgiving is a weapon. Everybody needs from time to time to make a list of things you're thankful for. I can't be thankful for this. Well, you can be thankful for something else, can't you? Begin to focus on that. Listen to this promise. Also in jail, Paul wrote this. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. You reckon he was tempted to be anxious? 40 people want you dead and say they're not going to eat or drink till you are? But in everything, by prayer and petition, we all understand prayer and petition. Lord, help. With thanksgiving, there's the power. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, here's the results, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So by praying with thanksgiving, being thankful, the peace of God comes and will guard your hearts and minds. Now, is the devil always at work in assaulting you and I? He's not omnipresent. And he's not having babies. Somebody saw the devil one day outside the, the, a church sitting on the doorstep crying. I said, devil, why are you crying? He says, those people in there are blaming me for everything. Sometimes it's our own negative thinking or unthankfulness. We've got to come against unthankfulness. It's a sin. In fact, the book of Revelation says unthankful folks aren't going to heaven. So it is a way for you and I to walk in the peace of God and have our minds and hearts guarded from the devil, from his minions, and even from ourselves and from other people. Exercising our thinking. How about exorcising our thinking? Getting rid of the stinking thinking. What was it Zig Ziglar said? We need a checkup from the neck up. The way we think is so important. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think will impact how you feel and how you feel will impact how you live. And so when you're being assaulted in whatever way it looks like, you've got to guard your, your thinking. That's why thanking is so important. Fill your minds with things to be thankful for. That same chapter, a couple verses later, verse 8, Paul writes, finally, brethren, he's wrapping up these points. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on this, this kind of thing. This is what to filter your thoughts through. Is this just? Not going to think about it. Is this noble? No. Not going to think about it. Somebody brought up to Mother Teresa a great offense that had been committed to her. And she said, why are you bringing that up? I distinctly remember forgetting that. I'm not going to focus my mind on that. I can't believe she did such and such. Oh, you can't believe? Then why are you doing thinking about it? Why think about something you can't believe? People are a bunch of sinners. Duh. You reckon? Now, the word meditate gets a bad rap because it's been hijacked by, by Eastern religions and popular in the secular world. When you meditate, you're supposed to empty your mind and not think of anything. Well, I don't think that a woman can do that, really. Men, we probably do it all the time, but... But meditate, if you take the Greek word for meditate and apply it to cattle ranching, it means to ruminate, to, to chew on stuff. So in reality, negative thinking is meditating. 
And sometimes things get way bigger than they need to be. So what we think about is important. Keep a guard over your mind. Don't just let anything come through it. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can surely keep them from building a nest in your hair. We used to sing this verse, a simplified chorus. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and we will fix our thoughts on these things. Jesus, you're true. Jesus, you're right. Jesus, you're pure. Jesus, you're lovely. And we will fix our thoughts on you, Jesus. Jesus, who is like you, who is like you. One more time. Jesus, who is like you. One more time. Jesus, who is like you. Jesus, hallelujah. He says, these things you have learned and received and heard and saw in me. This is how he was able to encourage folks when he was in the pits. These do. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. A couple of verses earlier, the peace of God will guard you. Here, the God of peace will be with you. Great to have the peace of God, but it's even better to have the God of peace, Amen. right? Amen. It's great to receive a gift, but it's even better to receive the giver of the gifts. Amen? Yes. This is our responsibility as believers. I guarantee you every single sin starts with a thought. And the thought will create another thought. And like a train... Thoughts have thoughts connected to them. And if they're sinful thoughts, they're evil thoughts, depressing thoughts, there's a caboose at the end. I know they don't have cabooses anymore, but there's a caboose at the end of the thought train full of snakes. So be this, uh, why am I using railroad imagery when I don't, don't know that much about it? But be the switchman. Put it on another track. Don't let it run down your track. Amen? Derail that thing. And finally, to move from surviving into thriving, we should be remembering who we are. Remembering our true identity. This is not who I am. These thoughts I'm having, this is not me. This is not who Jesus saved me to be. In his letter, his second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 5, Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Whether you feel like it or not, this is the truth. In Christ, not in yourself, but in Christ, we've been made new creatures. And through that reality, everything becomes new. Well, this is just how I am. No, it's how you were. You need to begin to live how he is making you, how he has made us. I'll pick on the Irish because I are one. I'm just this way because I'm Irish. No, you've been redeemed. <laughs> so in Christ, we are new creations. And for Christ, we are ambassadors. Now then, now, somebody said now. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're new creations in Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of the highest order sent into foreign territory to represent his homeland. We're ambassadors for Christ, representatives of the highest order sent to represent heaven in this place that's destined for hell. As though God were pleading through us, we're representing him. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So if your battle is social, uh, the vast majority of counseling involves people problems. If it's a people problem, it's a financial problem, talk to somebody who knows about finances. But if it's a people problem, do not forget we've been called to be reconciled with one another and to God. We're new creations in Christ. Two verses later, we're ambassadors for Christ. In conclusion, I know that five points is too many. They say, you know, you're supposed to have three points, and one preacher's just preaching one point. And, um, try to remember two of them. If we want to move from thriving into surviving, we need to learn to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. How am I hurting? How did Jesus hurt? He's the high priest who's able to identify with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points as we are. Then take my suffering and put it to him. And then remember who I am. Yes, he suffered for me and I'm suffering with him, but I'm called to do more than suffer. I'm called to represent Luke Miller sent me a link to a two-hour-long sermon. Sorry, Luke, I didn't get a chance to listen to it all. I skipped around, and the first place I hit was like at an hour and 50 minutes. And it was so profound, I'm going to share it with you today. But first of all, let me set it up. It is Dan Moeller, who was the man who discipled Todd White, associate pastor at the church where Todd began to follow Jesus. And he's sharing how he counsels people. It's really quite simple. It's not long, so listen closely. I don't do a lot of counseling anymore, but I actually used to enjoy counseling. <laughs> There's short appointments, most of them. <laughs> the longest part of the appointment was just nailing truth over and over so that I left them with something to grow in. But the appointments were pretty short, usually. I'd be like, wow, that happened? Yeah. So let me ask you this. Well, why do you feel that way right now? Why do I feel that way? Well, you heard what I just told you. You know what I've just been through. And then I take where they're feeling and I try to put it on Jesus and make it fit. And then they go, well, no, Jesus wouldn't be. Or I'll bring up what Jesus went through, some of the same stuff. Tempted at all points, right? And then I'll say, now, can you imagine Jesus feeling that way? Well, no, because he's Jesus. Yeah, but he's in you. And he said to be like him and the things he does, you'll do. And as he is, so are you in this world. Maybe you're letting something matter more that doesn't matter most. We probably ought to get our eyes on him and then take another look at this. When what matters most matters more, we can keep our eyes on Jesus. We can put our affections on things above and desire for revenge or desire to go back in time and change everything subsides, we begin to walk in victory. This kind of thing is, is, is what is supposed to happen as we worship the Lord, as we focus upon Him. He brings things to our remembrance. He brings conviction of sin. He brings renewal as we focus on the Lord. So let's end the service with some worship. Can we do that? Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to
us yet, and you're never going to fail us. I thank you, Lord, that for those that are in trials, they're suffering right now, the story's not over. Victory's coming. Testimony's on the way. First the test, then the money. Amen? First the mess, then the message. First the trial, then the triumph. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you identify in the fellowship of his sufferings with him. May you identify with the identity he's given you and the purpose for which we've been assigned. And may you represent him always. Go get him, tiger.